You're listening to The New Paris. I'm your host, Lindsay Tremuda. If you've followed the news out of France in recent weeks, you know a couple of things. First, France has entered campaign season, with the presidential election awaiting us in April 2022. Second, among the many disconcerting absurdities in said campaign, we have a far-right anti-Semitic misogynistic pundit whose message at his first public rally last weekend played on the French perception and panic surrounding their own country's decline, and of course took an expected anti-immigration, make France great again style stance. The left is in disarray, to put it politely, and the right has a real challenger. Macron, for the moment, hasn't formally begun his re-election campaign, but is surely analyzing this hot mess of a political landscape. Making sense of the French political apparatus to even begin to follow this election process means understanding a whole number of historical events that are rarely explored in any great detail in foreign media. That's where Manu Sadia has stepped in. The author-historian started a free newsletter called La Campagne, where he digs into the political machine, the perspectives, and key moments that have shaped policy and thinking, as well as what to know about the coming election. His dedication to this storytelling, as you'll hear me tell him, is nothing short of a public service. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Manu, welcome to the show. Hi. So where, where are you connecting in from? To give people uh, some context. So right now I'm in Los Angeles, uh, but I am originally born and bred Parisian uh, from one the, of the left, rare... bank, left bank, left bank. And one of the rare breeds, right? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, actually, my my uh, my dad is not French, so I am uh, I am half and half. My mother is my mother was very very French. A, a great family of, you know, 16e arrondissement and all that, like, you know, Western Paris, Catholic and all. And my dad is Israeli. So it's kind of a, at the time, it was a weird mix. I mean, now it's much more uh, customary for, I mean, I was looking at the statistics, actually. It's very, like, mixed marriages, as, as it were, are, are very common now. Um, when my parents met and, you know, Uh, get married and all that, like in 67, uh, this was not at all usual. Uh, So it raised some eyebrows perhaps at the time. Absolutely. Um, My my grandfather, so my mother's dad, advised my father to change his name. Oh, no. (laughs) No, I mean, my dad didn't do it, but it was funny because he said, and he was kind of right, you know, like things would be easier if you're called John, you know. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but that's part of the the problem that continues to plague France, which we'll talk yeah. about. But you yeah. know, this this. I mean, things have gotten better. I would I would say. Um, but, but there's yes. an othering, obviously, with names like that. I am part of the great replacement, <sighs> <laughs> which we'll have to talk about. But <laughs> but so okay, so you're you're coming to us from Los Angeles, which means you know you you grew up here, but you've been living in the u s for quite yes. a long time. So what is your current connection with France? Like why did you leave? Why do you stay uh, away? so I mean i I left to go to grad school in the u s because it sounded like a great way, you know, like a paid vacation. <laughs> uh, I mean, it really was you know you get paid to study, so it's like. Yeah, sure. Uh, and that was in 96. So I've okay. been in the U.S. for 25 years. I'm married to an American. 
I have a kid, I have a mortgage, um, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm living the dream. Uh, but I, I, my dad is still in Paris and I still have a lot of friends there. And some of my friends from Paris actually have moved in my neighborhood, like four houses down. Like I get the, the brother of my oldest friend who just get a house there and sends his kids to a French school. So it's, um, Wow. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, there, there's a, there's a lot of French people in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm I'm not surprised. I actually think yeah. the one time, the last time I was there, I was I don't know near West Hollywood, and I heard you know <laughs> in all the coffee shops there was at least you know a handful yeah. of people speaking French. I mean, it's always funny because when we when we meet up with with my friends who are French, you know, and we go to the cafe or whatever, and the customary uh, greeting is to like you know kiss on the cheek for guys and so people are like they always turn around and like ooh, what is going on here <laughs> um you know because americans they're weird they, they hug uh, you know like although that is not happening anymore no. because of covid so it's one of the good things about covid <laughs> no hugging <laughs> hugging is over <laughs> But what about, I mean, I know you've been pretty vocal about um, maybe trying to make another move. Oh, yeah, no, we're, we're moving. Uh, we're moving to Canada. Uh, just, you know, I mean, after 25 years, it's, it's you don't, you don't, you know, um, there's a sense that you get encrusted and set in your ways. And um, moving is a good way to shake things up. And it's probably the last time in our lives we can do it mm-hmm. uh, because we're not getting any younger. So it's kind of an exciting thing to do. So sure. we decided to move to Canada. It, it, the process takes a little while. Um, and especially because of COVID, they have uh, stopped processing applications from abroad. So the who knows how long this is going to take. But, but you're, yes. you'll, be in, you'll be in French-speaking Canada? Well, we've been exploring. We were in Vancouver. We went, just went to Montreal, and Montreal is uh, seems like the kind of city would, would, you know, would fit in okay. much more so than Anglo Canada, which is a strange. Uh, <laughs> it's too, it's too Anglo. I mean, and the Northwest is is a thing in itself. You know, I mean, they, sure. Like in Vancouver, Vancouver is sublime. Like uh, the the site. Just the geography of it is absolutely stunning, but um, everybody's fit there, including the dogs. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 the world headquarters of Lululemon. You know, I mean, like there's it's like it's everything that I laugh about when I'm here, but you know, living in the middle of it, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, there. There are other considerations as well. Uh, in terms of schools and all that, we are, you know, we we are very keen on finding the right environment, sure. learning environment for our Le- child. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. that's the, and and we we were thinking about France, but again, learning environment, um, it's complicated. It's knowing what I know of the French system. It can be very good, but it can also suck. So, right. Yes. Right. So I don't blame you. For, then, that, you for know, that, you know, for so, taking that into consideration, and then, and then you know maybe later when, when once the kid is old, maybe we'll we'll move to Tahiti or something like that. We'll see. We'll Why see. not? Why not? But so even though even you know even if you're going to end up in Canada, you know you're still doing something that 
connects deeply to your French roots, which is this newsletter. And yeah, I, um, okay, so the the truth about it is, this is a, the perfect way to procrastinate because I'm supposed <laughs> to deliver that manuscript. <laughs> Right, because you're a novelist, right? Well, I'm. A, I'm. I mean, I do nonfiction as well. Like, I'm, I'm supposed to deliver that nonfiction manuscript, you know, like, like December, January. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but also, the thing is, I waste an incredible amount of time reading the news about France because French politics is an old passion of mine, and so I figured I was gonna do something productive with the time I spend, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, looking at it, and um, I ended up. I, I I thought that was the right way to do it because I actually know quite a bit about the stuff, and uh, the it, it. There's no way to get all these subtleties across uh, in the U.S. press. Uh, no, in a, you no. know, either as an op-ed or you know, reporters. They like the way it's edited and and what people are interested about is like you know is Zemmour the new Trump, uh, and and that's not you know the, the, the comparisons just don't work, uh, and so bringing like a, the background on you know various issues in France like so I'm going to do uh, next week I'm preparing this it's a big post on immigration you know part uh, two yeah part two like the first part I did you know Mayotte like the 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 external, the sort of like territoire d'outre-mer, ultramarine France. Um, I'm going to do a post on um, New Caledonia. Oh, yeah, Tanaki, because there's, there's, you know, in December 12th, they're going to have the ref- the third referendum on independence. And this has become a place of incredible strategic importance because of the, you remember the submarine affair. Who could well, forget? Right. <laughs> Um, and, and, and New Caledonia is like the number two or number three producer of cobalt in the world. So it's, and it's also a place where, you know, you see the, the sort of like, it's almost like a practicum in, uh, the evolving definition of what it is to be French. Sure. Um, and and it's a colony. It's still a colony. I mean, it really is. It's still on the list on the UN. The UN has a list of countries to decolonize, and New um, Caledonia slash Kanaki is still very much is on that list. So there's been a process of uh, autonomy and political uh, dialogue that has culminated. That was supposed to culminate in three. Uh, consecutive referendums uh, on independence. And so there's been two already, and the first one was 55% no to independence. The second one was 51% no to independence, and that was last year. And so now they want to have the new referendum on December 12th, and the independentists uh, are going to boycott it because uh, the COVID uh, pandemic has reached the shores of New Caledonia and is basically uh, burning through the um, Kanak population. So Kanak, you know, like that's the name they give themselves, but it's right. not really who, I mean, like it, there's a story about that name too that I will discuss. So this is for the next one. Uh, this is for in two weeks and, and, and it's of high strategic importance. Um, 
And it's also about, you know, who decides to be French, who is French, who is allowed to be French, what it means to be French in a um, former colony or in a colony of France. Uh, and these things are, are, you know, are still playing out even 50 years after decolonization of Africa. So it's an interesting well, situation. Well, what you're doing is frankly a public service um, Thank you. because you're exploring aspects of French politics that, as you say, are overlooked or underexplored by by non-French media oh, simply outlets. unknown. Is or that, unknown. Yeah, and sure. But you also stipulate that the, these are issues that the French fail to perceive to a yeah. large degree as well. So, you know, you've got this in-depth context about France's colonial history and practices mm. of immigration and... Um, but you're also taking an honest look at the country's various parties and where some of them have shot themselves in the foot, so to it's speak. It's easier to do from abroad. That's the other thing. <laughs> uh, you know, when when you're there and you sort of like you read Libé and Le Monde, you know, every day and, and just sort of like your nose is in it. And it's hard to it's hard to step back because it's exciting and uh, and you have your own partisan uh uh, preferences, so it's it's easier to see from abroad, or to see from you know, or it's easier to see if you're, say, you know, a member of Lutouvrière or you know one of these sure <laughs> Trotskyists parties because they you know, but like otherwise, if you're if you're in there, you're in there, and it's hard to uh, see some of the things that are playing out. Um, so. Let me ask you then: What are some of the th the things you think the foreign press gets the most incorrect when looking at the French elections? Or well, the process. The the, I mean the, the the reflex right is to sort of uh, translate um, pound for pound, like you know word for word. So um, you know you you look at the the center right party les républicains and they tend to say oh so it's center right it's like the republican party in the us but that's completely false um the the républicain les républicains party would be you know like in the democratic party in the us uh you know the 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 republican party as it is now in the us and it is hegemonic so it's even hard to compare, but it's much closer to Le Pen or even Zemmour in, in you know, uh, doctrine. Um, hmm. And even then, Le Pen or Zemmour, like, they do not even begin to touch anything that has to do with uh, healthcare or privatizing healthcare or privatizing, uh, you know, public services. Uh, that's not something that even the most right wing of the right in France do. Like Le Pen, actually, like in our last five years ago in our program, uh, she wanted to give more money to the public health system. So, you know, it's a very a, interesting point. You're right. I had so it doesn't really that, translate. Yeah. You, you see, like, like the 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 reflex to sort of translate political divisions that exist in the U.S. into you know, or to translate the French political landscape as you know, sort of. U.S. type of thing just doesn't work. Um, Macron, for instance, you know, he's sort of like in between. He straddles left and right. And he, yes, he is closer to what the Democratic Party uh, is in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Socialist Party, the ecologists, they're definitely, they, they, would, they would not exist. They do not exist in the U.S. And they, I mean, 
yes, sure, the 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 DSA, but um, like, yeah, this is not it, it's not part of U.S. political culture in the way that it is in France. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm also trying to, to sort of disentangle the, the facile um, translation into U.S. political values and value system. Um, but also, it's, true. it's it's a constant. It's a constant point I mean, of discussion yeah. as well because. But it's know, also it, because it doesn't matter that much. You know, the, mm. the reason why it doesn't it, it's done like that in the U.S. press is also because it's France. You know, it's it's a it's a little thing. It's not that important in the grand scheme of things. China is much more important. Uh, you, you see what I'm saying? Like like yeah, France sure. is like this sort of picturesque, funny, weird thing, uh, and you know, and and. and and there is, I mean, I have noticed after 25 years in the U.S., right, uh, there is a certain cachet to uh, being French or knowing about France or, or sort of being Francophile is a, is a class mm-hmm. marker in the U.S. Um, but it's only that, like even people who, you know, by class and education and, and position in life, consider themselves Francophiles, they're the, all these subtleties of French culture and French politics just, you know, f- fly by. They don't care. Right. So you, you'd because have to it be doesn't a matter. Historian. You'd have to be yeah. interested in politics to t- to do. You know, I, to, to I'm a trained things. historian. That's, you know, that's my thing. Aha. So, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but the, 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 again, the purpose, you know, is to give like a, a fuller understanding of what's going on in France, knowing that, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important or it doesn't matter that much, you know, and, th- and that's also something I will try to deal with in the later post is like, w- what's the position of France in the world and the French themselves, the French politicians, they're very um, keen and obsessed by that question. And, you know, that oh. goes way back to De Gaulle and all that as, you know, is France still a great country? Is France on the decline? You know, the voice of France, la voix de la France, and all that. And you have to be fair. Like, it, France doesn't matter that much. It's, oh. it's a little bit like England. It doesn't matter <laughs> that much. Um, and, and, and it hurts them because, and like you oh, said, they obsessionalize over this. I mean, it hurts them. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of... Um, magical thinking going on about the role of France in the world, uh, which, you know, can be, can be, um, France can have some impact because, you know, it still is a country with nuclear weapons and a great diplomatic uh, core. Uh, And, but, you know, like like the geopolitical, influence of France is waning and has been waning for a long time. I mean, they, they, they kept people in Africa after decolonization and it was sort of considered a sort of a reserved area. But even that, you know, with China coming in and also Africa itself is developing at a very rapid clip and mm-hmm. they, they need not that it's not even clear that they really needed the kind of stuff that France was giving them, which was, you know, exploiting natural resources and maintaining dictators. So that's you know, the, 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 no, it's like the post-Gaullist, uh, the post-decolonization Gaullist policy in Africa was extremely neocolonial. Uh, so that too is gone. Uh, 
Um, and so, so, so it's like, what do they have now to they yes, have soft power? Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. And and they have a they're coasting, if you will, on on the reputation of France and and the, and reputation and and the word of France still carries some weight. Oh, uh, absolutely. And I mean, not a lot, but some. Mm-hmm. And so negotiating that uh, is is complicated, but is also interesting because, you know, once you're no longer a dominant hegemonic colonial power, which France hasn't been since, you know, 1945, essentially, um, negotiating like the, the transition to reduced and diminished uh, status in the in world affairs is is an interesting thing, and while at the same time France retains you know its attractivity or uh, you know its attraction, and it's it's every time I go there, and I go there often because I visit my dad. I mean, it's shocking how nice and well functioning it is compared to the U.S. and the French people complain a lot, and they're always unhappy. <laughs> But I don't think a lot of them realize um, how well managed. Oh, they don't. No, I mean they don't. Oh they no, don't. they don't. And and but it's also because they expect the best all the time. Like they, you are trained when you grow up in France, you you are trained to expect the best, and you're very disappointed when you do not get the best. I've never um, heard the word excellence used as much as I have in this in this country. L'excellence you know? à la française. Yeah, voilà. I mean, l'excellence <laughs> à la française. I mean, and it's true, like France still has incredible, I mean, the, the leading industry in France is luxury. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there's a, it's a, it, very old traditions. These are these are métiers, you know, like these are mm-hmm. not jobs. They're 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 the kind of work that requires years and years of training to make these bags or these shoes, you know. And they're all trifles, and it's wonderful because they sell these trifles for incredible. I mean, they they sell you know they sell these these shoes and bags and all that and 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 luggage, you know. <laughs> what 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 is this? But. It carries something more. It carries the the aura of France, the aura of luxury, the aura of uh, good taste and good life, and mm. and and that's you know a very powerful thing. And and French luxury houses are are the leading luxury houses in the world. You know they compete with the Italians, but they bought a lot of them actually. This um, is true. This is true. I mean, no, there's, know, they 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 carry on with what they can. Um, and, certainly and what Mac they can always... is actually very uh, uh, valuable. Uh, it, it's, you know, in California, they have startups and, and Facebook and all that. In France, we have LVMH. And um, I think there's something beautiful about, you know, the France is, I, I don't know if your listeners know, but France's wealthiest man right now is Bernard Arnault. So he's mm-hmm. the CEO and part owner of LVMH. And his fortune is based on selling, you know, tchotchkes, essentially. <laughs> Very expensive tchotchkes. Very expensive, but they're tchotchkes. <laughs> uh, and, and there's something absolutely wonderful about that. And, and, and if that's not soft power, I don't know what is. Uh, I mean, this is, this is wonderful. Because what, when you sell luxury, what you're selling is the idea of luxury. It's not the actual object. The actual totally. object is like, eh, you know, so... 
and that's an expression of what France still is and remains in the world is sort of the the a sort of a uh, uh, beacon of I'd say good taste, yeah, something like that, like like a, an ideal, an ideation of what the good life can be, and 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 art, and injecting art into everyday objects. I mean, this is it's the, something, and 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 you know, it's not weapons, and it's not like technology, and it's not. I mean, there is a lot of technology involved in in doing it, but. What you, what they're selling is not the future or the iPhone or you know they're 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 selling tchotchkes. It's it's <laughs> it's it's amazing and and I I have only admiration for that because it's these are these are things that are completely superfluous and useless and people buy them but make people happy exactly and, and connect and connect them to France ultimately oh, and and to a certain yes to a certain idea of. What it is to uh, be classy and cool in the world, you know. I mean, it's yeah. I I I I fall for it myself. So I'm you know I'm the first one to, but we all do, correct? Absolutely. Oh, of course. <laughs> right. Of course. Like I mean, I've, I can't spend that much, but it's the same for everybody. You know, like right. none of us can just. We're we're not Brigitte Macron. We cannot be all dressed up in LVMH. You know. Um, but We're speaking not... of but speaking of Macron, Pesco, I want to bring it to sort of the, the situation at the moment, mm. right? So, you know, Macron hasn't officially announced his re-election, though that's mm. surely coming after yeah. France steps into the EU presidency in January. You've got Zemmour that you've talked about on your yeah. newsletter, who's, you know, a misogynistic, anti-Semitic pundit. who But pundit also, who's... but he's also very much a Jew. So oh, I know, gonna... but he's a self-hating <laughs> Jew, as we, you know. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and who's scaring a whole chunk of the population with his campaign ambitions and then you've got Le Pen and Hidalgo yeah. and they all seem to be losing relevance. It's relevancy. kind of funny because by the way um, Zemmour has made Le Pen look like you know a moderate uh, you know it's and and she's herself I mean you know she's the one who kicked her dad out of the party for you know yet another joke about Auschwitz so she was like that's it you're out Um so she's, you know, she's modern. Like she's more modern. Um, she, she's, she doesn't seem to be very interested in becoming president. She never was, but you know, still, still. But yet pen. she runs every time. I, I, she has a business to run. You know, the the <laughs> National Front is the is a family business. I mean, and that's that's the problem because the only people, you know, like she surrounds herself with family and, you know related people like it's i think jordan bardella so the new head of the party is the boyfriend of her niece i mean you know that that's how you get ahead in in the front national or <laughs> no but it's true so you know there, there's a sense that this is a family business and it runs quite well you know year in and year out and so they keep doing it um She's not going to get elected, uh, and and I would say you know the the COVID situation like the fi- there's a fifth wave going on right now. Yeah, uh, it it was predictable. It's the winter. Um, there's still fifteen percent of the population that's unvaccinated. It was going to happen, and then you know on top of that you have a new variant. So we're COVID's in charge in a way, and so all of these great discussions about 
great replacement, great this and great that seem to sort of. So do you think this this moment then is is helpful for Macron because his popularity has waned? Yeah, uh, I, yeah I mean, Macron is, you know, like his brand is competence, right? And competence and some jokes uh, that are not very nice. But generally, they've been, I mean, you know, they, they messed up at the beginning, as mm-hmm. you remember, because they were like, you know, no mask, mask, but there were not enough masks, so they had to sort of lie and dissemble. But they've been... Since then, like they get their act together, they they and the, I mean, essentially, they poured two hundred and thirty billion euros into the economy, and businesses didn't tank, and you know, uh, you've seen that, like I've seen it. Uh, the cafes we used to go to, they're back up and running. You know, right. uh, they're short staffed, but they're short on staff, but. Yeah, I mean, like the the support of the government has been so massive, and you know, so antithetical to what Macron himself, you know, came out to do as a sort right. of neoliberal. Let's you know, um, uh, favor entrepreneurship and and retrenchment of the state and and sort of like uh, uh, right sizing the uh, état providence or the welfare state and all that. Like this one out the window, like. And they, you know, that that's that's the thing that really uh, impressed me about them and about the government in that sense is that they were willing and able to basically get rid of their doxa and and do what was necessary. And so you had like a guy like Bruno Le Maire, who's who's he's a right wing guy, like he's always been a right wing guy, um, eh, Minister of Finance, and yeah. he sort of managed 230 billion euros, and he managed that the money would get to the people who needed it, and to support companies, and to support businesses, and and to support people. Uh, there was chômage partiel, so it was sort of a weird unemployment scheme where right. basically you were not laid off, but you could not work, and the state would pay for your salary instead of your employer. Um, you know, at a reduced rate, but still. So they did the right thing. Uh, and they did it in a way that was massive and it was quoi qu'il en coûte, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. Quoi qu'il en coûte, là aussi. That was very impressive, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, it th- was, but it, we all of us are still left wondering how are we going to end up paying for this in the end? Ooh, inflation is great because it reduces <laughs> the value of debt. So there's, that's one thing. And then in the long run, you know, like there's going to be between 6.6 and 7% growth in 2021, despite variance and all that, and probably the same next year. So growth is the remedy to all of this. And, and within 10 years, you know, provided that there's no crazy variant that reappears and everything has to close down again and all that, and mm-hmm. you have to go through that rigmarole all over again. Then you know the the debt will be um, settled, and and the cost of not doing it oh, was been so. I mean, right? Yeah. Like, so it was so astronomical and cataclysmic that, in fact, this it, it, you have to look at it as a cost benefit thing. Like, the cost so of do not think, doing it would have been worse. Do so, you think the voters then are going to look at him as like? maybe not a revolutionary candidate, uh, but someone who has sort of saved us from what could have been worse? I mean, 
if you if you listen to like Le Pen and all that, like who you know had nothing of substance to say about vaccines and all. I mean, the the right wing they sort of flirted and they still are flirting with anti-vax, you know, conspiracies and all that stuff. Now we're getting another variant and a fifth wave. And people are embracing um, not only the pass sanitaire, so the health pass, but also the third dose. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw there was this poll that um, that was like three or four days ago, like 78% of people in France were for the third dose. So um, the government has delivered that and right. has managed to deliver all the vaccines to the population and sort of incentivized people with the, the health pass to actually get vaccinated. And it has really helped. And I think there there's a real, um, I wouldn't say, you know, gratitude vote because that's not what it is. But I would say that in the end, people will recognize that, you know, these people were competent. This is not over. I mean, mm-hmm going to go on for another year or two, maybe three, who knows, right? And these people are competent and carried us through and did it in a way that not only saved the country, but probably will make it more solid in the long run because all these investments, um, you know, and the, the European, like negotiating the mutualization of debt f- with all the European countries to... Um, basically emit European debt to fund reconstruction and, and rebuilding. And it's not reconstruction. This is not the end of the war and all that, but more like rebuilding and greening the economy mm-hmm. and all that. They're, they've been extremely competent. Could they have done more? Yes. Uh, it's never perfect. Do you think that if Le Pen had been president? Oh, no. I mean, no. Not, it's like these are, these are complete. Clown. She's she she yeah she also has no competence no. to to do no, to, to uh, handle uh, that. Les Républicains like you know Fillon president yeah I mean you know there are some competent people in there they understand the levers of the state and how things work. It would have worked better, but in the end you know what you had here is like you had the French establishment essentially, left and right in the Macron government managing a major emergency like something something worse than anything since World War II. And they did it with competence and they did it with gusto and they did it with, um, you know, earnestness. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they really tried to do their best for their country and, and, and for, for people. And of course it's never perfect, but they really tried to do their best. And that, I think it's to their credit and it's to their honor. And I think people recognize that. So let me ask you, because, of course, when we talk about uh, this situation, Hmm. we talk also about, you know, Hidalgo, who was handling it for Paris. So this brings me to what Hmm. I'm so curious to have your opinion on, which is why has the left become such a failure and, you know, not even legitimate challengers? And why is Mélenchon not even a force this time? (laughs) Why aren't we hearing from him? Well, because... Okay, first of all, for the PS, you know, half or two thirds of the PS went with Macron. So uh, let's let's not forget that Macron's uh, main patron or or not mentor, but the guy who basically helped him, you know, get his nomination and and 
and get his campaign going in 2017, 2016, 17 was Gérard Collomb, so the, the socialist mayor of Lyon, a big wig in the Socialist Party left, you know. Same with Jean-Yves Le Drian, so the, he's currently Minister of Foreign Affairs. Um, at the time, he was uh, Minister of, uh, I think, Defense under Hollande. And Le Drian is also a big baron in the Socialist Party, like he controls the... Bretagne Federation, you know, as his name indicates. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the Socialist Party bigwigs left and went with Macron. Um, Castaner, you know, like a lot of a lot of the figures, yeah, I mean, you know, they're not great, but they're also opportunists. So they figured, you know, we can work with centrists, we can work with Bayrou people, like these people know each other, they're kind of friendly. Um, and so they, they sort of all gathered together there. So what is left of the Socialist Party is not that big as a result. Um, and Hidalgo, you know, she, she was sort of always, she remained a socialist, but she was always arm's length with the Socialist Party. And mm. you know, people were kind of grousing about it because she was not as involved with the party as, you know, because she won Paris without really the help of the the national party, but more because she was Delano's uh, uh, adjunct adjutant or, you know, second in command. So the former mayor of Paris, uh, socialist Bertrand Delano. Mm -hmm. And so she won because of that. Uh, and she won fair and square and she won a second time. And she's an excellent mayor of Paris. Being a mayor of Paris with the socialist uh, label, like... It's a very different thing from being a national figure and the national, and you know, somebody uh, in the national party. And the national party is really not that. I mean, they still have like a couple of regions or three, I think. So there's still an electoral force, particularly Southwest, uh, which is historically a, a socialist. Um, socialist party uh, uh, area, as well as the West, like Bretagne, but mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's sort of the inertia of history. Um, Carole Delga is very is great. She's the president of the Région Aquitaine, Grand Aquitaine, and she, she, she's a fantastic um, politician. But this is regional power, and so you get elected also because you build a clientele and relationships and, and all that. And so she's good at that. And, but the the central party as a sort of force of movement in French political life, in national political life, seems to yeah. Um, it's lag. It's a it's a it's the laggard of, of yes, uh, the and, and and it's also interesting because you know how. The, everybody's claiming that they're ecologists now. So, <laughs> and so it's a challenge for, for, for the Greens because everybody is green. Uh, so what's, you know, so everybody has their own version of what it means to be green. But so the Socialist Party was very, especially Dago, you know, like the, she's been working with the Greens for, for a long time in Paris. And so they're, they're very keen on integrating the sort of ecological transition and all that um, type of programmatic language in their platform um but so they're in the situation where it's like okay so if you're a really ecologist then why not vote for the greens then um and it's hard to make the argument uh 
that because there's no official coalition between the two. No, and if you remember the last time in 2017, Jadot, so the ecologist candidate, same as this time, he um, he sort of dropped out and said, "Vote for Benoit Hamon for the Socialist Party." And 6.7 percent later, you know, a lot of a lot of the ecologic ecologically minded electorate is is sort of upper class urban. Um, so it's also very much uh, Macron's target. And so there, there's sort of like there, there's a sort of a spread here between the socialists, the ecologists and Macron. Um, they're not working class really. Uh, and and the way to understand it is 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 as such, fifty percent of the French are middle class to upper class educated urban uh, with with the with the type of voting habits that come with it and consumption and voting habits that come with it. Half of the other half is working class immigrants. Rural rural is tiny. Rural is like two percent, but very urban. So. What some people have called La France Périphérique, Peripheral France, and so you have like this real division here, um, and and the people in Peripheral France they will most likely vote for Le Pen, um, out of a sense of alienation mm. from the big cities, uh, which have become unaffordable, and out of a sense, uh, you know, and in the world we live in, it is what it is. I mean, it's could be changed, but it takes time. Uh, most of the job opportunities and opportunities for social advancement are in big cities. Yeah. That's why immigrants congregate around big cities. And so that's why also a lot of the people who feel left behind in peripheral France have resentment toward immigrants as well. Uh, because the, it's, it's a geographic, it's a political geography. So it used to be very nice to live in peri-urban France. You know, you had your big house or your small house, but you had your house, you had your two cars, you would commute to work 50, 60 kilometers away and all that. Now it's not so nice anymore because it's expensive. It's it, it You don't have the same opportunities to move up. Right. You're stuck, essentially. Hospitals are not as good. You know, it's like all sorts of services are no longer available that used to be available. Schools are not as good as in big cities because, you know, the good, uh, the way you get a spot as a teacher in a good school in the city, you know, like it's complicated, but usually the good teachers, they want to be in cities. Uh, all that, all, all, all these factors make it that there is tremendous resentment in that portion of the population. They will never vote for the ecologists. Like the, the notion. Well, never, no. Because, because you have this, um, I saw this on TV once, like uh, some pollster guy had like this formula that I thought was very cogent. It said, you know, it's either fin du monde or fin du mois. And so, you know, end of the world or end of the month. And so for a lot of peripheral friends, the issue is the end of the month. These people are like at zero on their bank account before the end of the right. month, just right. for paying for gas and, you know, and all that. And then you have those who think about the end of the world and, you know, ecological transition because of global warming. And, you know, do we keep the nukes? Do we not keep the nukes? Do we, you know, 
are windmills good or not wind turbines good or not you know like these people are engaged in these issues they will vote for the ecologists or they will vote for people who affect or who present in their platforms you know uh trend policies that will favor ecological transition so these are this this is the universe of voters like the the france david like urban educated you know or you know middle class and upper class France. This is where Macron wants to get his votes, but this is also where the ecologists want to get their votes. And this is where the Socialist Party used to get their votes from. The Socialist Party was this strange thing where they used to have a lot of workers associated with them. So it was the non-Stalinist working class, represented especially by the CFDT, so one of the trade unions that is not communist. Uh, so reformist trade union, but the the working class has left the Socialist Party. It's Piketty who, you know, in his last book, like he, had, he, he described that process in a very, uh, I think, astute way that, that the Socialist Party succeeded. The left in France succeeded because they raised a lot of people from the working class mm. into the middle class through, you know, educate, through policies like education, mass education, and um access to better jobs, uh, either as functionaries or public service or in the private sector. Um, and so the Socialist Party, the, the non-communist left, succeeded in raising their constituency to the level of middle class. And now it comes back to bite them because they turned away from their roots. You know, it's probably two right. generations away. And like, you know, sure, your parents might have been workers, but now, you know, you're a professor or a teacher, or uh, a manager in some, you know, internet company and something like that. And you will vote Macron. You will not vote for the Socialist Party because the Socialist Party, like, it's absolutely unclear what they stand for. So what I'm hearing is that you think, you know, uh, that Macron has a very good shot of, oh, yeah. of moving forward again. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not really enthused about this. Uh <laughs> I mean, I may sound, you know, very enthusiastic about the government and all that, but I, you know, like they manage the stuff very well. They're very competent. Uh, I'm not so sure that I agree with them. And, you know, well, and they didn't pass a whole lot of other policies in addition, well, I mean, you know, separate and, from COVID. Uh, I mean, you know, like, like the, the reform of the, I, of the, the wealth tax was kind of scandalous. You know, there, there's a bunch of things like, like the reform of the uh, unemployment insurance is, is, punitive in ways that you know make no sense except throwing red meat at the right uh and this is not uh these are sort of punitive things that i i think aren't becoming but you know it's also politics so it's it's so no i'm not i'm not really enthused about these people i don't find i can't recognize my old socialist party like this is not um and and melanchon you know, Mélenchon still believes in the sort of movementist, like like grassroots movement things, and Mélenchon he tries to appeal to the working class still. Uh, but isn't he a multimillionaire? He's all his life he's been a political fighter. Like he started out as a Trotskyist, um, and then he was senate, the youngest senator in the Senate, and then um, he was minister under Jospin, and then you know things one thing led to another, and. 
he was always at odds with a lot of people in the socialist party because he was on the left wing of it. And so he left and, and, and he's the work of his life seems to be to destroy the socialist party. Like that's one of his uh, goals. Um, yeah. But also when you look, you know, if you forget Mélenchon for a minute, you can't because French politics is presidential politics. And so there, there's this undue focus on uh, personalities and, and characters. But the people in, in the Insoumis party, so the people in Mélenchon's party, are, they're good people. They're really good people. And, and once you know, he's done with that campaign, which is going to go nowhere, and then he's going to retire. And then it's going to be interesting because there are a lot of, you know, this the, the Asumi party is the only party in France that has a lot of visible minority people in, in their ranks. It's, they're very progressive. They're trying to articulate a new progressive politics that is not Stalinist and that is mm-hmm. not, you know... Uh, that that is something that will appeal to a broad range of people. So in the long run, you know, they will be more of a thing on the left, I think, than the Socialist Party. I don't, I don't. Socialist Party is is it's an electoral cartel at this point. Whereas the the so Asum- we'll see we'll yeah, see how that develops. That that's for next time. But they are very good people in the Asumi Party. They're like Clementine Autin is just wonderful, and 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 these are people, you know, they. They do politics out of a sense of public service. And so does Mélenchon. Mélenchon is a, you know, he's, you don't, you don't get rich being a politician in France. This is not like the UK or the US. Like if you look at French politicians, it's hilarious because all the, you know, they have to disclose all their assets and all that. And, yeah. and you look at that and they're like paupers, you know, compared <laughs> to like American politicians and even English politicians. Like they're, you know, it's, it's absurd. Um, and like, this is something, okay, this is something that does not really get, um, it's not really understood outside of France, but even in France to some extent. But yes, French politicians in general are extremely not corrupt. I mean, you always have like a guy like Fillon who likes, you know, who's, but it's, but Fillon, is, he was pathological. Like it, it was something pathological about him. Like it was, he was always like that. He was always after money. Like everybody knew that. Like, and then you have DSK, you know, like. Yes, unfortunately that crash and burn. Yeah. But you remember Stroskan, like, so in 2007, so that was the presidential election uh, where Sarkozy won against Ségolène Royal. Yep. What happened was Ségolène Royal got nominated in part because so there was Troscan, Fabius, Ségolène, you know, like, and Montbou and a couple others, I think, and Aubry, maybe. But, like, essentially, there were people who went in the primary to make sure that Troscan would never become the nominee. Like, they they competed and, and they made sure that, like, several people in the party who knew about Troscan, you know, because Troscan, like, that guy that it's been 20, it was in 2007, everybody knew already that, that his, guy, about his behavior. Yeah. yeah. Like that guy could never be president like because everybody knew he was mental uh, and, you know, and the rapist. And so they went up and they sacrificed themselves to make sure that he would not be the nominee. Um, so that that's part of the, the, the small story there. Um, so a lot of these people who do this, they do this, you know, they're not corrupt and they actually do this as a, out of a sense of mission. 
and commitment to the institutions and the commitment commitment to public service. Le Pen, who knows? You know, Le Pen is a different animal. It's a mixed and, bag. Yeah. Yes, very mixed. But <laughs> the other guys, like a lot of them who are lifers, you know, they're they're really in it for I mean, there's a part of ego and all that, but a lot of it is, you know, it's it's like the NBA, right? Like it's like one out of a thousand will become president. So there it's like you go in, you want to be president, but in the end, you know, the best you can achieve probably is minister, but you will be you will try to do your best once you're there. And 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 of course there are always some duds and idiots, like it's, this is normal, but a lot of uh, a lot of these people actually they they believe in it and they believe in public service and they do it out of a sense of public service and i'm very impressed by that and and when there's a real crisis like the covid thing okay so there were left wing people in the government right wing people in the government they all pulled together and they tried to do their best they messed up on some stuff but they did not mess up on the big stuff um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so very, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm like, this is, it's not the best, but it'll do. <laughs> and, and Isn't probably that a metaphor? Yeah, right. But it's also like, I think this is the sentiment in the country from what I understand is like, you know, sure, things could have been better, but like, look, this, this was. This proved, yeah, at a time of crisis, it proved that, you know, maybe we did have the right team in place. Or at least, you know, the. But it's not just the right team; it's also the right political culture. Mm. Like, the, like nobody tried to, you know, nobody tried to be like the big guy. Nobody tried to. Uh, it, it was very surprising, like how it unfolded. Like everybody was sort of like doing their job, regardless of the political fallout. Um, Philippe is a very good example of that, you know. So, so he left. He, he was canned afterwards. But during the early moments of the of the COVID, he was th- that guy went on TV and people yelled at him, and he was like, he just said the truth. He said, yep. "There are things I don't know." And like, okay, that's that. I, it, it's very impressive, uh, and I totally disagree with Philippe on everything, almost everything, but. <laughs> You know, like it takes some, uh, it takes a real sense of public service to be able to go on TV and say, there are things we don't know, there are things that we know, and we're going to try to navigate this. I mean, it's. So then, Menu, what what should people know? uh, What's at stake for 2022 then? If you had to, what are the like top two key issues that you think are important for people to keep in mind as we head into 2022 and that this becomes, you know, we enter debate, the debate period. Yes, and we get it's closer. le monde d'après, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a real question because if, you know, the fifth wave is going to last through the winter, right? So it's going to kind of quash the debate. Um, I mean, I, I wish, you know, uh, ecological transition and global warming were were front and center so fin du monde you know like end of the world uh, i wish this was there was more urgency about this but there's a hierarchy of emergency you know um mm-hmm. and the hierarchy of emergency right now is covid then you know getting people back to work then 
maybe global warming. And then, you know, and if you're Zemmour and Le Pen, it's the end of France and great replacement. But that's, uh, it seems like it's, it, it, see how it's sort of, it's evanesces, like it's it's completely evanescent. It's, it's sort of, it vanishes the moment like real serious stuff happens. Like Zemmour has nothing to say about the, the number one emergency. So it's hard. Well, you're to... giving me hope, though. You're giving me hope that those those fools can't. No, you know, I don't. I, I mean, I mean, I've seen from the yes, and again, you know, I can. I, I most certainly can be wrong, but at this moment, right now, I think you know, it's it's very hard to imagine that Macron won't be reelected. Now, afterwards, he said he was going to reform retirement system and all that stuff, but you know, it's it's like. When you look at what he said about ecological transition, when you know we're going to build eight EPR nuclear power plants and all that, and maintain nuclear power in France, well, you can say that. But you know, he says uh, Horizon twenty thirty five. That's a lot of time, right. um, and in fifteen years, the price of renewable energy will be you know twenty to thirty times cheaper. Uh, it's it's just like whereas nuclear goes up and and the price of renewable energy goes exponentially down, so we'll see in twenty thirty five. Um, you know we don't it's not even clear that the the EPR in Flamanville will actually run in twenty thirty five. So you know, let's not get too excited. So right. so there there's there are all these balancing things and, you know, it's what you do when you're president, like lots of stuff that you have to move along. Um, I'm, I wish there were, you know, I wish for instance, they were more proactive about uh, curbing um, air traffic or making it more expensive. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd think this is the right moment because anyways, nobody's flying or very little. Um, and instead, they're they're. I mean, they did something very good, which was um, tell Air France not to run uh, any, um, you know, uh, uh, domestic flights that can be covered mm. by by train. Trains, right? Exactly. So now the local airports and local municipalities are suing because I mean, you know, it's, what that tells you is that ecological transition is going to be costly. And it's going to cost, and it's it's going to it's going to cost some people, and so there has to be a mechanism and ways to compensate for these these changes and dislocations. Um, yes, because you know you you have a lot of small cities who built airports, and now they're being told, "Hey, no, no easy jet for you from Paris to you know like." Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time. I was reading about the uh, TGV line, so so the uh, high speed rail from Bordeaux to Toulouse, and so they this is going ahead. It seems it's a twelve billion euros uh, project, but the mayor of Bordeaux, who's an ecologist, is against it. Uh, so you, uh, it's still chaotic, is what, uh, what uh, yes. Is. <laughs> uh, they, so so. But it's it's complicated because you know this this is a big country. I mean, it's a relatively big country, and there are a lot of vested interests in various things that are conflicting. You have the people who don't want to have windmills, you know, next to their houses because it lowers the lowers the 
the value of the house. Um, you have like the the syndrome des éoliennes, you know, like people. No, but I mean, so so it's become like Xavier Bertrand was saying that um, windmills, you know, wind turbines should go down because they're destroying French landscapes. So. Well, yeah, I mean, these these are the people who are not ready for the, you know, the realities of climate change. These are people who are trying to say what will gain them marginal votes in some places. But in the end, you know, you can't just take down the wind turbines. And also, you know, they are usually in places where there's nobody. So uh, that's the point. But uh, yes, so, so, so the transition is an incredibly complex thing. And, um, and in a way, you know, the fact that we are addressing it and some we're already in the process of addressing it. And so you have people yelling and all that. It's, it's, it's less of an emergency. I mean, it's, it is an emergency, but in that sense, you know, we are already in the process of addressing it and debating, you know, the direction and all that, like less cars. What does it mean? Um, massive help for electric cars, like the electrification of cars is coming to France. A lot of people are unhappy about it, not just because of the price, but also because, you know, like the like internal combustion engines, like this is metallurgical work that is being done in several factories in France. And now these people are going to be out of a job because it takes, I think, like the number of jobs it takes to actually build an electric car is like, you know, 70% of what it takes, like just because electric cars are, are very simple. Um so and they're, they're and then you know once you have electric cars a lot of the um maintenance so a lot of the business of cars is so maintenance and you know uh garages and and uh uh mechanics shops and all that and, and with electric cars these are gone so you lose a lot of jobs there and you have to move them around to something else so there are a lot of things that need to that will be changing um and the government is addressing that. I mean, they're not, again, their role in this is not is to you know they have like some kind of nebulous direction, but mostly their role is to manage the discontent of various constituencies. Um, and, and I hope you will continue to document this and explore this. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> no, no, it's fascinating. No, truly, this is fascinating. This is why I wanted to have you on the show. But I, 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 if I you, hope if you, that I'm sorry. It's like you pushed you pushed the play button and that's all. Yes. But listen, I hope that even after you're done procrastinating with your manuscript, you will continue giving yeah. us La Compagne. Uh, and and well I promise, until here's, April. here's my promise, is I will reveal who I'm voting for on the day of. Okay. All right. So everyone needs to, to, to then, sign up I for mean, this newsletter. It's it's fairly obvious, but I think it, it and it's not Macron, that's for sure. I just want to thank you for uh, taking the time to come on this show and welcome. thank you. La Campagne is on Substack. La Campagne dot Substack dot com. And I'm going to put free. it in the show notes. It's free and it is brilliant. So Manu thank Sadia, you, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you thank so you much. For having me. That's the show for today. As always, thank you for listening, subscribing and sharing with friends. You can find all previous episodes of the New Paris podcast wherever you stream your podcasts and on World Radio Paris. If you're enjoying these conversations, please consider picking up a copy of the New Paris book or my recent release, The New Parisienne, from your local booksellers. Until next time, à bientôt!